Digital Four Ten Productions proudly presents the Fail to Fail podcast with your host Don Abernathy. What's going on, everybody? It has been a while. I have been diligently trying to get some good quality guests on the show that um, share the same interests we do here on the Fail to Fail podcast, and it has been a long time. And for that, I apologize. But I think I found a gentleman that perfectly suits the bill with what we do around here. Joining us from apparently an extremely hot and humid Illinois. Mr. Aaron Saba? Seda? I had it right two minutes ago. <laughs> Sabia. And joining us right now, Aaron Sabia. See, that's the joys that we can uh, always go back and edit. Aaron Sabia. You might know him from Race Ready Obstacles and RaceReadyObstacles.com and on Instagram at RaceReadyObstacles. Aaron, how are you doing, my friend, with the exception of being extremely hot? Um, I'm, I'm doing good. Tired, but doing good. So... So what have you been doing lately to keep yourself occupied? I know this year, I don't know if your season's still going, but at the beginning of the season you announced that you've kind of taken on an active role with a, an OCR organization. Are you still doing that, or is that season over for you? Um, no, I, uh, I actually, we just finished that race. It was a uh, frontline OCR here in uh, Byron, Illinois. And I was brought in as the race director, so I got to put my spin on things. You know, and the way I've nothing I make, nothing I, uh, I to me, OCR should be hard, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, well, I mean, for the elite level, absolutely. Obviously, um, you know, companies such as, you know, some of the bigger ones, they got to have it passable so that they can get all the open waivers to come out and spend all that money. But yeah, definitely for the elite, the elite crew and maybe the people doing the age group but yeah i can understand from a corporate and a business side why you need to make it passable for the open waivers no i i absolutely get that and if it hadn't been that this is this particular race yeah is dedicated to the military and first responders so their whole branding the way they do everything is you know basically welcome to the suck fest and uh it's going to be a grind the entire way through. So I got to design a race that personally I would want to do. I didn't get the chance to do it. Although, you know, I did log close to 70 miles that week during wow. build week and marking everything. And my wife, she did, she did predominantly most of the marking and she was at like 66 miles, I think. Wow. So yeah, no, it ended up being, really great race i thought and i had you know a lot of people come up and compliment me and say i'd done a good job they also said it was one of the harder races they've ever done to me that's kind of a compliment oh absolutely especially you know um, that's what i was going you know now for frontline ocr was this um a first year for them or they've been doing, doing this in your area for multiple years now this was their uh, sixth race. Nice. So, um, you know, and I, I had some people come up and say, not only did they think it was the best frontline race they'd ever done, but it was one of the best OCRs they'd ever done. And once again, I was, I was making it up as I was going. I'd n- I've never been a race director before. I just knew what I would like to see, I guess. So that's where I, that's how I went into it. And a lot of sleepless nights, you know. <laughs> Well, that's a huge compliment, especially when it's like a, you know, a regular current race when you're six years into it and you have people that I'm sure have ran that race two, three, four, possibly all six years in a row. 
when they come up to you and say, not only was it a great race, but it's probably one of the hardest races, but I'm sure you also got a lot of thank you for changing this thing up. It's always been a good race, but after you run the same course so many times, even if the you know previous director changes the order in which the obstacles are, or if they add one or two obstacles every other year, it still can get a little, you know, monotonous. And I'm sure the the diehards and the guys who've done it for four or five times were thrilled to have something new and challenging. And or or maybe they're a little upset because they were, you know, expecting to fly through it, saying, "Okay, I got this down. I'll just go out and PR today." And <laughs> that ain't the case. No, that was that was never going to be the case. And even going into the race, you know, I I had done a couple of videos and talked about a few things and just told people. This isn't the race you remember. This isn't, it's going to be a completely different race. So, you know, I wanted to give the people that hadn't done it, you know, a great race and the people that had done it, I wanted to completely mix it up and change everything up and give them a whole brand new experience. I think I accomplished that. So that, that was my goal. And I think I think I got that done. So. Well, let's back up a little bit, rewind, uh, pull some slack if you uh, don't mind. Now, I know you're in Illinois now. Did you grow up in Illinois or did you move there later in life? I actually did. I grew up, uh, you know, in Rockford. Well, I wasn't born in Rockford. I was born in one of the suburbs of Chicago, but I was young. And then my, you know, my parents moved over here and I grew up on the family farm. And, you know, I lived in Illinois till I was in my early 20s and then, you know, moved down south to Florida for a year or two and then to Tennessee for a couple of years. And then I joined the Coast Guard and I was stationed in southeast Texas, which is I can't even as much as I'm griping about the heat here. Mm-hmm. It don't hold a candle to southeast Texas, you know. Well, look so at, I was in the, looking through your Instagram page. I had a feeling and that was actually one of the questions on my list was if you had prior military service, because looking through some of your photos, I had the inclination that you did. So the Coast Guard, that's very, very cool. Um, and it's that's a whole different realm. I mean, it's one thing to be, you know, in a military branch, but it's something like the Coast Guard, where your primary area of operations is water and water rescue and helping stranded boats and working in that area. That's that's a whole different specialty. It, it it is, and you know, um, I, I was older when I joined the Coast Guard. Um, wasn't because I couldn't hack it in the real world. It was more just it, it was only a couple years. It's like a year and a half after nine eleven. Okay, and I was like, and I was like, you know, I was like, still young enough, although twenty six didn't seem yeah. all that young. But I was like, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go do this now. I don't have any kids, you know, and I was like. Now, now's the time if I'm going to do it. So I went and I did it. And yeah, it was, I did a lot of law enforcement and I, I drove boats. So, you know, that's the that's what I, kind of the irony of military and the fact that a lot of kids who are of age to join 17, 18, 19, or 20, a lot of us aren't in the mind state of military appreciation or wanting to do that sort of thing. And then a lot of us, when we get to 25, 20, 30, 8, 30, a lot of us are like, man, I, I should have done that. And so yeah. it's like if there's only a way to get the mind state of a 28-year-old, 35-year-old into the body of an 18-year-old, right. we, have, we have some strong <laughs> military. Because I didn't – I don't know if you know this, but one of my other podcasts, I host a World War II-based podcast. I'm a living historian, a World War II reenactor. And I awesome. didn't – my grandfather served over in the um, European theater as a um, – he did grave registration. 
but I didn't earn an appreciation for the military, and I really didn't gain interest until World War II until I was in my mid-30s. But once again, at that point, I was already owning a business, and being in your, your mid to late 30s is a little too, too little too late. But it's interesting yeah. how our mind state, you know, because a lot of cats, myself included, I tell people, like, well, why didn't you join the military when you're young? It's like, well, because when I was young, I was an asshole. When I was young, <laughs> right? I was at that mind state of, I'm not going to join the military and shave my head and take out my earrings and my tongue bar and look like everybody else. I'm a nonconformist. At 38, <laughs> I look back and say, no, you're an asshole. <laughs> so if we could just get that mind state and put it. it in the younger cats, man, we would have so many more people willing to enlist. Oh, yeah. I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, see, I grew up my – um, on my dad's side of the family, he was in the Marines. Uh, he was the oldest of seven. My dad was, and he was in the Marines. His, uh, second oldest, he did, he did a full 20 some odd years as, a uh, in the army. He was airborne. My grandfather was in during world war II. <clears throat> started out in the Marine Corps actually got out and then decided he was going back in. So he went back in, uh, into the army and during world war ii he was army corps of engineers he was like and john basalone in reverse <laughs> john yeah, basalone did the army and then went to the marines and then and then from there he went to uh he went into the airborne wow. and then he was special forces and then he was a green beret and he you know he fought during korea and he fought during vietnam and you know i mean he did you know he, he passed away you know, around 2000, but I mean, he was in the, he was in the army. He, he did. Every, he was in every branch except for the Navy SEALs. And he probably was like, ah, <laughs> my back hurts. I'm yeah, over that. Right. To go and he was, a, he was, a, he was a little guy too. He, he, he never would talk about Vietnam mm-hmm. after he got back. Not even because I was always interested in the military and everything, but he would never talk about that. So, I mean, I get it. You know, I'm, my dad had always said that once he came back from Vietnam, you know, it was a whole, whole different thing. So, um, yeah. So for a time there, I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to join the military though. I always had an appreciation for it. I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. So there I was at 26 going, I'm going to, I'm going to go to join the coast Guard." So yeah. that's what I did. Now you said earlier, you grew up on a farm in the outskirts of Illinois. And, um, mm-hmm. speaking of my podcast, the, uh, what's the scuttlebutt podcast. I just had a, Fellow reenactor has been on a few times, but he just his book just came out called Hang Tough, where him and a, another friend actually got access to Dick Winter's personal and private collection. And so they actually were able to write a book based off the letters that and content that have never been covered in any of the Band of Brothers. The reason I bring that up That's is the reason I'm very I, cool. Yeah, it's, I just got the book today. It's called Hang Tough. Um, but okay. the reason I bring that up, you're talking about growing up on a farm and we were talking and I brought up, I said, well, you think part of the reason why we were so successful with such rudimentary equipment during world war two was the fact, and I Googled it, the census of 1920 said that 30.2% of the United States population were farmers. And you combine that with living through the depression. I said, do you think Mm -hmm. we were so successful and that stock was so hardy because almost a majority of them were farmers. And so when you've been getting up at five and working till sundown doing physical labor from the time you're five until the time you're 18, and then you go to boot camp and you spend your days humping heavy equipment with the exception of being shot at and dealing with the horrors of war. I'm sure the fact that almost half of our population were made up of farmers 
was a tremendous benefit to our uh, success. And, I, and my kind of question goes to you because you kind of lived the same thing. Do you think your upbringing on a farm helped you not only with your time in the service, but your experience doing OCR and physical fitness? I would 100% say yes. Because even because I'm about to be 45 this okay. year, and I, I don't move as fast as I used to. Um, one too many trips around the sun, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But growing up in that environment, you basically just you just learn how to work hard. And that's not something that you see a whole bunch today, you know, and no. it always drives me nuts when people roll in and they're just like, man, I had the toughest day at work. I was like, yeah, man, you were, you were at McDonald's, you know? And I'm like, that's cool. You were in air conditioning. Yeah. I'm sure your job, it's not all that awesome. But or you're sitting in a cubicle for 12 hours behind a computer screen. Yeah. Or something like that. You know, I'm like, did you really work? You know? And sometimes uh because now that i've moved back up here i'm back living on the farm again so you know during harvest and stuff i still help out although not sure if that'll happen this year because the business is taken off to the point where all i do is seem to do is weld and powder coat but um (laughs) (laughs) it's it's not that's what i was doing like five minutes before you sent me the zoom that's awesome i just finished I just finished blasting stuff and bring it back up to the house anyway. But there, there's been times and you know, this is one of those things I'm hoping, you know, that I'm trying to instill in my kiddos because my son's 13. He's now as tall as I am. So he just, he's basically six foot now. My daughter is nine. She's five foot two, but every summer when go out and they harvest the wheat and they bale it all into straw, Oh, guess what? Since I moved back up here five years ago or six years ago, I can't remember which which it is. Guess what my kids are doing with me? Mm-hmm. We're going to go put up 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 bales of straw in a barn in the you know first week of August. Yeah. And I have watched my kids outwork some of the, the guys my uncle will hire to come over and help. And these kids are 19, 20, 21. And my kids will be slinging more bales That's than awesome. these guys will. That's restoring faith. <laughs> you know, you know I, I I have an interesting kind of raising up. I, I was actually born in Kentucky, but my father moved me and half my family to Columbus, Ohio in second okay. grade. But I would spend my summers in Kentucky um, with my mom. And she had a, well, actually, technically, my grandmother had a five-acre plot down on the Ohio River. And at one end was like a single wide trailer from the 70s. And at the other end was what we referred to as the cabin. But it was built in 1939 and had no indoor plumbing. And so based on my mom's current relationship with my grandmother, she either lived in the single wide trailer with a cistern and um, water and a toilet, or she lived down in the cabin with the outhouse and no indoor plumbing. So I never knew during the summertime if I was going to be in the single wide trailer with the swamp cooler and TV and rudimentary cable, or if I was bathing in the Ohio River, taking a dump in an outhouse and living in a cabin with just electricity. But I bring all that up because my cousins, for example, their first jobs was picking tobacco at 10 cents a stick. Um, And now they're all very successful. Um, My youngest cousin, um, who was adopted by my mom's brother, interestingly enough, she went off to college up in Maine. And I remember she spent like 
her thesis time out in like national forest, living in a cabin like 30 miles from the closest town. And she mm-hmm. did all that for a while. But getting back to kind of what you're talking about, the, the farming, sadly, we lived in northern Kentucky, which was right across the street from Cincinnati. Well, Google's down there. Amazon's down there. And all the farmland that I grew up around is now gone. It's all gone. suburbs for the people who lived in, who working <clears throat> in Cincinnati. They drive the 20 minutes to Erlanger Union Big Bone to the point mm-hmm. that my cousin moved back from Maryland and she is a modern day sharecropper. She rents an acre of land down in a place called Big Bone, Kentucky. And okay. um, down in Rabbit Hash, believe it or not, and she for like the first two years she would she would um, farm this acre, grow all her produce, take it out to the farmers market. My aunt, my uncle would go down there, and people were loving her produce. And then she got to the point now where she no longer does the farmer market. Her produce is so damn good that she basically supplies all of the new hipster restaurants in Cincinnati, to the fact Sweet. that like the local newspapers have done stories on her and stuff but kind of like what you're saying with your kids it's so nice to see even in a time now where you know she has to rent an acre of farmland because all the farmlands we grew up around have been taken over by urban sprawl that she still is doing the old school thing and that's what she loves to do and it's working out for her and it's kind of i think we're going to start seeing a pendulum even though she's in her late 30s early 40s but I think amongst the younger cats, we might see, start seeing the pendulum swing back a little bit just to get away from technology. I hear that maybe younger girls now are starting to learn how to crochet quilts like their, you know, napkins like their moms and grandmothers did. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe we might get lucky and see people trying to get back to more hands-on stuff. And I think it may also be why OCR's kind of taken off because people are, as you were saying, they complain about sitting in the air conditioning and they and they need a reminder of embracing the suck, whether it's a two-hour race or something else. And it always surprises me. I've I've just ran my third Savage race. I'm actually doing um, some – I'm doing an event in October. I can't remember. Rugged, rugged something or other. I signed up for it in Tampa. be honest with you, I was looking at it. And like They have a lot of inflatable obstacles, but I'm doing another Savage in November. So I just figured I'll do this in October for fun, go do my fourth Savage in November. But um, – but it's funny, I'll go out to Savage Race, you know, here down here in Florida, and it's on a horse farm. And mm-hmm. it never fails. I do open waves. Um, it never fails. You get a mile and a half, two miles into it, and you see the people winded, struggling, saying, oh, my mm-hmm. God, this sucks. And I'm thinking to myself, unless you signed up last week, which I don't know why anybody who's never done one would <laughs> sign up when they got to pay $145, I'm assuming right. someone six months ago said, hey, we should sign up for this. This is fun. It's only 48 bucks right now or 80 bucks. So you've had six months. Maybe you've had three months. Maybe you've had three weeks. But I'm surprised at how many people go out there with without any, even as open weight, without doing any sort of training, whether it's going out and learning how to run three to six miles consecutively, whether it's going to the gym and just throwing ropes around or trying to do pull-ups working on your grip strength i see so many people who don't even make it to the first obstacle before they're winded i'm like you paid an inordinate amount of money here and you didn't put in any training whatsoever it always surprises me it no i i agree for me it it's always kind of seems like it's one of those things where and, and savage race is a great i mean it's a tougher race. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of their obstacles are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Lee, Lee comes up with some great rig setups. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but people get, I think 
I don't know. To me, it seems like people just get this wild harebrained idea that they're like, oh, we're going to go pretend like we're kids again. We want to go play in the mud. We want to, you know, basically play. And I've always said the stuff that I, you know, when I first started out and I was building rigs for a few people, I was like, I'm basically making adult playgrounds is Mm -hmm. what I'm making, you know? And I think that for a lot of people, especially, and, and I've mentioned this to my wife more than once is that majority of the people that I see that come out and do OCRs, not a lot of them actually have like, like work jobs that are like physical labor. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't see too many construction people out there wanting to do it. They're Mm -hmm. like, Hey, we're tired. We worked our butts off all week. I'm not going to go run six miles and climb around on stuff. You know, a lot of the people I see are the people that are in the offices, the people that, you know, I, me personally, I can't work in an office. I, I, I'm just not that person. You know, I went back to college after I got out of the Coast Guard and I got my degree in history. And yeah, I knew I was never going to be a teacher. I just really, really like history. So (laughs) that's why I went and got my degree in that. And the GI Bill was paying for it. So I was like, yeah, I'll use that up. But I was never going to be the guy that's going to be sitting at a desk. I was never going to be guy that's, you know, although I think it'd be cool to work in a museum, it still wouldn't be the kind of person that I am because I, I got to be doing stuff, building stuff. I got to, if I'm, as soon as something's easy, then I'm bored. I got to go find something new. <laughs> you well, know, that's just me personally. So I think a lot of it too is I think a lot of people, and this is not a crack, this is not a slander, this is just what I've experienced not only through Savage Races, but um, as being a living historian and a World War II reenactor, we have things that we call tactical events. And that's where there's mm-hmm. no public. For example, every January we go up to uh, Lakeland, Georgia, and we have a 15-mile um, Boy Scout camp that we rent out. And we go out and do an eight-mile, four-hour-long tactical event. And that's where we're just humping through the woods, carrying M1 Garands, full packs. We're fighting Germans. We're shooting blanks. And I think a lot of people have no real, clear, honest idea of how out of shape they are, even if they're not overweight. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of guys go out there, and I'll give you an example. The first time I did a tactical event, I, I didn't run. I wasn't in a, doing any of this stuff. I was 30 pounds heavier than I am now, and I was dying. I was just <laughs> out there, and I was dying. I have a friend who owns probably seven Sherman tanks now. Um, he has 20-acre property up in central Florida. There was an event where I was trying to run at a slow pace to, to provide in, infantry support for these tanks and I was dying. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of the reason that and two kidney stones is part of the reason I started going to the gym. And then I was mm-hmm. going to, I got to the point I was going to the gym twice a day. I lost, I don't know, I lost about 20 pounds and I hurt my elbow. So I got concerned that I was going to gain that weight back. So I started running. Now I can never run on a treadmill. I can never hit a 10 minute mile on a treadmill. It wasn't until I started running in the street that I discovered the reason I have a problem running on the treadmill is a treadmill is a piece of machine and it has gears and gear ratios and even at whether it's 1 1.2 or 5.4 your body's trying to match the restrictive speed of which a treadmill is able to do and that mm-hmm. restrictive speed no matter what level is at it either may be too fast for your comfort level or too slow you can't get to that 100% perfect spot whereas when you're running in the street yeah. you can tune your body into the tempo and the pace that your body feels comfortable running at and it wasn't until I started running in the street that I was able to hit my first 10 minute mile and then next thing I know I'm running three miles and then five miles and then 14 miles and then I went out and I started 
running a couple 5Ks, and I did my first 10K, then I did my first Savage Race. And one of the things I discovered the very first time I ran an organized race after running in the streets that a lot of people don't realize and or talk about, and I'm sure you've experienced this probably when going through boot camp and running with the military, and that is the pack instinct. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. The first time you run with a large group of people, you automatically run at a faster pace than you ever have, and you're more comfortable with it. And your mind instinctively looks around and says, okay, I can run faster than this person. I can't run faster than that person. And you instinctively find your place in that pack, and you'll maintain that tempo and that speed. And as the race goes on, you'll start passing some of the people who start falling off. Yeah. And and so I, I truly think a lot of people don't realize how badly out of shape they are once again even if they're not overweight just because the lifestyle in which we live like you said people work in ac they'll come home they maybe go lift a couple of weights at the gym but that's not cardio and then they'll go home and play xbox and they'll play call of duty and then when they go out to the savage race or to a spartan race or to a tough mutter to whatever uh you know frontline ocr and they and they they look at it like oh this is a team building event for a corporation is it and then they get out there and they get a half mile in and then they realize oh shit I've been going to the gym and lifting weights but I've been doing no cardio or then you get the people that do tons of cardio and they can run all day and you get them mm-hmm. to an obstacle and they will stay there all day and struggle on it and they have no you grip know? strength and no be- grip strength and being a runner who came into the OCR world my biggest problem is and when I come to do this Savage race in November, because Savage Open Wave, they don't have a burpee penalty. And so you can just, if you can't get past it, try it once or twice and go on your way. Well, because yeah. I'm a street runner and because I've ran one half marathon, a 10K, and a handful of 5Ks, in my mind, I've trained myself. I'm all about the PR. I'm all about the PR. So I'll try something mm-hmm. twice and then I'll go because I'm instinctively, because of the type of person I am, I'm worried about the time. I'm racing against okay. the clock. I'm forcing myself in November. Right now, my Savage Race Florida completion rate is 25 out of 28 obstacles, which ain't bad for a 40, uh, 42-year-old. A, 40, no. a 42-year-old who's six foot five and 220 pounds. Okay. Um, yeah, so you got you got me beat by five inches and like 50 pounds. I'm six foot and like 170. Yeah, so, it's well. Probably from, it's probably from sweating so much. I probably lost six pounds today. I, I failed horribly. The last race, I tried to cut 10 pounds for my race. I, if I could, if I can go to a Savage Race at 207, 210, I would be thrilled. Um, I'm mm-hmm. also an IT guy who's been typing for the last 18 years, and so carpal tunnel syndrome t- tends to kick in. I will oh, say I this. I did some study and I figured out how to prevent lactic acid buildup because Savage no. Race number two, halfway through, my calves hurt. And you know this, a six-foot wall is not hard, eight-foot wall is not hard. An eight-foot wall after running two miles and you throw your calf up over that wall, what happens? You get cramps. Oh, you get, and see, that is the that is the thing that has always affected me. Mm-hmm. It's my calves. My calves will cramp and the worst calf cramp i've ever had in my entire life was a savage race in chicago and i was a quarter mile from the finish line you know and it was like right at about six miles and that sucker locked up so hard my toe was pointed straight out and i couldn't bend it i couldn't do anything my wife's over there grinding on my calf and i'm just like oh god it hurts so bad i'm about to crawl over the finish line What's- so yeah i get i get it What's the name of the Savage Rig? It's upside down. It's usually over water before COVID. And the sec- it's a bar. And then the second set has the PVC that spins. And then it goes into a ladder. It's an inversion table or something like that. Inversion. 
You basically, oh, see, I've never, I've never seen that one over. Uh, yeah, it's like their low rig. Yeah, it's a low rig. I think I posted a picture. Anyhow, it's a low rig. It's about I've never, I've never seen it over water. Down here in Florida, for the first uh, two years, it was over water, and then due to COVID, they kind of moved stuff away from the water, with the exception of Solid Tooth and Colossus. But down here in Florida, it's always been over water. So if you fell off, you fell in the water. But my point yeah. is, is that one is a perfect example. When you throw your calf over that, that contact, that's when the cramps kick in. Yeah. And so before my last race, I went online. It's like, how do you prevent lactic acid? And everybody's like, well, first and foremost, drink a lot of fluids before the race. Okay, done. And basically start two weeks in advance. And, <laughs> you know, well, not only that, but take um, gel, gels or protein um, through with you through the race. Um, are you mm -hmm. familiar with Vinny Tordridge at all? Uh, no, he's basically the father of no sugar, no grains. He's on Adam Kroll's podcast okay. all the time. He's actually just put out a second documentary called fat, the documentary. Um, he's been okay. on the show. He runs a, a food company. He sells this product called, um, ultra fat nut butter. It's, um, coconut oil, peanut butter. I'm sorry. Uh, coconut oil mixed with almond butter. And this guy does like 500 mile bike rides. He does triathlons and all that stuff. And he specifically designed this stuff for you to consume during races like that. And so I did some research. I read, I drank a bunch of uh, water beforehand, drank Gatorade beforehand. I got some gels. I got some of that ultra fat nut butter. And I'll tell you what, I actually put it in my running hip pack that I've never worn at an event before. And I, mm -hmm. and I went out there and my third Savage race, the one that I just finished, I got absolutely no lactic acid buildup. It's the first time I've completed a race where my hands weren't cramping and I couldn't open them, having the monkey claw. And so, oh, that's awesome. So just reading up on that and taking that during the race and drinking water. And I also found out what the, a lot of the companies don't tell you. Like you'll see those gel packs like Frog or whatever. Yeah. A lot of those, if you don't – like if you take that without consuming water, it actually – it takes the water out of your muscles. Because oh, it, so it's, it's more of a diuretic than anything? Well, it's designed to be mixed with water, but people just squirt the pack in their mouth and then take off running. Well, you're supposed to consume it with like a half a bottle of water. And so that can cause problems too. So if you're taking gels, you need to make sure it's a gel that is, does not require any water. And that's very oh, important. Okay. But how did you get into creating and designing and starting up this race-ready obstacles? <laughs> okay, so four or five years i can't remember that i think we did our my wife and i did like our first race and i think it was 2015 which was a mud fest we did a spartan up here in uh chicago we just did the sprint it was just you know supposed to be the three and a half mile course or whatever although i talked later to the course director and he actually said he'd overdone it and it was closer to six but no big deal anyway it was a mud fest. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking mud like to your knees or above your knees. Anyway, that was the first race we had ever done, my wife and I, and we we were basically hooked. Well, second race we did, she saw a twister and she was <laughs> like, Yeah, I can't do that. Yeah, you you need to make me one. I was like, Okay. So then Necessity is the mother of invention. Right. And so I like sat down and watched YouTube videos and basically guesstimated the dimensions on everything. And then I, I happened to Robert Killian 
You know, I mean, that dude's just mm -hmm. a beast yeah. all by himself. I sent him a message on Instagram because I think, I think for whatever reason we were somehow he was following me and I was following him and I sent him a message and I asked him if my dimensions were right. And he was like, I didn't even think he'd respond. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's a, he's a, I'm just this little nobody with like 300 followers or something. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he messaged me back and he's like, I'll check for you tomorrow. I was like, okay. And then I wasn't sure if he'd ever actually, you know, message me back, but he did. Wow. And he was like, he was like, yeah, you're right on. So yeah, I made, I made a twister for the house. Nice. And then, and then from there, it just kind of, I had built, you know, I built a rig at the house and, you know, there, there's a, there's a gym over in, uh, in Plainfield, Illinois, one of the suburbs of Chicago and everything. And we had met this guy at one of these local events and his, he has an entire gym that is just dedicated to OCR. That's badass. The closest and, I have to that, um, you ever watch American Ninja, Ninja Warrior? Oh yeah. You know, Morgan Moose, right? The guy with the weird moose hat. Yeah. He's an elementary school teacher. He lives about two miles from me, and he's graciously <clears throat> enough. He he's gracious enough. He allows me to use his ninja gym in his backyard. He's got monkey bars, sand ladder, which I can't do. He's got a rope, which I can't climb. But he's got monkey bars. He's got pegs, and so right, you know, about a month or two, maybe three weeks before my next event, I'll try to go to his house at least you know twice, three times a month, just to get my grip strength down, work on the monkey bar stuff, and my he's got a static line, and and then so I'll hit the gym up and and run more and I'll, I'll go to his place, but it's, it's definitely a great, a new growing niche. Sadly with the increased revenue prices of freaking wood right now, it's going to slow down people's gym building, oh, but it's, it's ridiculous. I haven't built anything for anybody. Cause initially when I first started race ready obstacles, I had, you know, this guy had this gym. One of the women that works out at the gym was like, I want you to build me a a rig in my backyard. Wow. And I was like, okay. So it ended up being 30 feet long and like, you know, 10 feet wide. And I mean, she's got a twister on there. She's got incline, decline, monkey bars, devil steps, pegboard, salmon ladder. Wow. You know, and, and I mean, just all sorts of cool stuff on there. And I did that. And as soon as I did that, she had one of her friends who was like, I want you to build something in my backyard. And I was like, okay, I'm going to start a business. Yep. I, like, I don't even know what I don't even know what I'm doing, but look, I'm going to whatever it was, legal zoom or whatever. And I was like, I so saw I set up an LLC. Yeah. It's like 120 like, well, here in Florida. It's literally $125 to register a business <laughs> and you're off and yeah, running. It, that, that's kind of what it was. And I was like, I'm, I'm just going to go run with this. So yeah. like, what's the worst that happens? I'm out a hundred and you know, 150 bucks, 200 bucks or something. 200 bucks in a bank miserably. account. That's all you need. You know, and so I went and, now, you know, I talked to, were know, you, talked to my wife about it, but go ahead. Were you welding? Did you learn welding and the Coast Guard? Where did your welding, or did you start welding for this? Where did your welding skills come from? Because not everybody, that's one of my regrets too. My dad knows how to weld. I need to find someone to teach me how to, actually, I know somebody. I need to go get him to teach me how to weld. Not for, because I want to start a business, but it's just one of those trades that I want. When did you start welding or where did you learn to weld? Um, I actually started welding years ago before I joined the Coast Guard. I had uh, 
I worked at a radiator factory in Tennessee. Nice. And I wasn't doing like any of the power welding. I mean, there was guys there that I swear they could weld wood if they wanted to. <laughs> they were just that they were just that good. But I had to weld a couple of it was like name plates and stuff on these radiator tanks. And I don't mean like little radiators. I'm talking like heat exchangers that go out onto the offshore oil drilling rigs, you sure. know, that are 36 feet long and you know 10 feet wide and stuff like i mean big old honking things and so they had a tig welder down there and tig is hard Mm -hmm. and that's that's what i learned how to do first and then i went in the coast guard did nothing with welding because that wasn't you know i drove boats and did law enforcement i wore wore body armor carried a gun and you know 120 degree weather <laughs> repossessed pounds of cocaine out of boats <laughs> never never actually had a drug bust. really once. well i guess not, in, not i once. guess if you lived in florida it'd be a different story but i guess off the, off yeah. the coast of never, texas yeah and i was i was right on the border of louisiana and texas now okay. we did bust a lot of shrimp boats shrimp boats and, and alligator poachers <laughs> yeah right yeah that kind of stuff so did that and did a lot of security boardings on the tankers that were going into houston and coming into the Port Arthur area anyway but didn't do any welding and then I got once I started doing this I was like I haven't welded in darn near 20 years I was like not not anything not you know and so when I moved back up to Illinois you know living on the farm we got a big old shop there's a big old honking MIG welder in there and everything and the hired hand that works on the farm, he's a good welder. And so the first twister I made, I cut all the metal, I did everything. And then I was like, I'm gonna need your help welding this. So I would sit there with a welding hood on and watch how he did everything. Now, not to interrupt you, but just to set precedent for people who may be listening, who knows. Now, are you doing thin wall steel? Are you doing aluminum? Because welding aluminum, that's a whole different bracket and a whole different game. That that is. I'm not doing aluminum right now. With my new welder that I just bought, I can. I can put a spool gun on it. Cool. And I I can weld aluminum, but it's eh. Is what is with aluminum now so much nicer to do. Aluminum's lighter, which would be more cost effective for shipping. But is aluminum really conducive for the wear and tear that OCR rigs go through, or is steel a better idea? So the way, here's the way I've always looked at it. One, I, I don't have the rig set up to do aluminum. Sure. Um, aluminum, yes, is lighter. Um, but it's also, I mean, you, you whack aluminum on something. It dents. Chances are you're going to dent it up. Yeah. Okay. So the way I've always gone into, you know, the way I build stuff and everything else. Yeah. My stuff might be a little bit heavier because it's made out of steel. But it's also, you know, going to be heavier duty. And the fact that I powder coat everything, you know, instead of just painting it, you know, that that helps it handle the elements a whole lot better than, you know, just regular paint. Would. Well, not only that, but you're not so, making decorative yard art. You're making shit that people bang together that might, you know, slam into the I'll, post. It's this is a durable good. 
I, I always tell people, I was like, I hope this, what I've just made you shows up to you looking beautiful. And I hope you beat the crap out mm-hmm. of it. And it looks like, and you just wear it out. I was like, cause that's what I'm doing this for, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So back to, uh, you had a friend who was showing you how to weld this stuff up because it had been 20 years. And so you basically got a refresh, a hands-on refresher course, right? Yeah. I just watched him do it. And then I just was like all right, I'm just going down to the shop and I'm going to weld something. And so then I was welding and they were, it was ugly. We're talking dog <laughs> turn welds and I'd be grinding everything off and cutting it off and then redoing it. And, and just tr- welding is one of those things that the more you do it, just the better you get at it. Now, and so is welding like everything else where it's all in the prep where like when you're joining two tubes, for example, if, you have a huge gap or your cuts aren't perfect that you're going to have to compensate with that for a bigger bead and make for a sloppier weld. So it's, it, it probably, it probably is pays off in the long run to get your cuts as precise as possible to begin with. So you're not trying to fill those gaps. It, it definitely is. I've, I've got a really awesome metal chop saw. It's a evolution and it uses a carbide blade. So the cuts are super clean and, you know, as long as you got your angles and your measurements right, you, you know, I mean, I basically most of my stuff that I cut when I'm cutting it, my wife does majority of my metal cutting now because she likes doing it. And, uh, but once the thing's set up right and she's doing the cuts 90, I would say 98% of the time I can lay them and they just lay together perfectly. Nice. And, and you know, then I just, and if I do get it slightly ugly, the nice part is you can just grind it mm-hmm. and make it look pretty again, you know? Now, with the current climate and Savage Race, is part of your business mind saying, I need to get into the cheese board business? <laughs> the cheese board business. I, I Everybody had... wants a cheese board, man, because of that damn Savage Rig. I'm looking on Savage Syndicate, and everybody's like getting plywood, and somebody actually found the vendor where it looks very similar to the blue one they have, but... I think you're missing leaving money on the table if you're not getting in the cheese board business, at least for the next six I, months. <laughs> right. I've got, uh, I, I actually, that owner of the OCR gym, um, he was, he contacted me. He's like, Hey, he's like, <laughs> I need a cheese board now. Board. And I was like, <laughs> I was awesome. like, I don't even know the dimensions on the thing. You know, I, I, I don't, I think the only time I've ever seen the cheese board is when they used to hang it vertically. Mm-hmm. That's like, the first time I have my, on my YouTube video from our first race in 2019. It was a vertical cheese board. Yep. And, and that's, and it was like six in a row or something like that. That's yep. the first time I remember the cheese board. And so, and it was one of those things. I mean, it's so big. It'd kind of be a massive. It's gotta be at least ship. six. It's gotta be like seven foot tall. I'm six five. I'd have to go on my YouTube video and yeah, it's probably it's it's bigger than six foot. I know that. I because I know you can get sheets of whatever kind of plastic it is, and I'm I have to see it. I'd be able to tell you what kind of plastic it is because I did work at a plastic machining company as a uh, as a um, quality control person. Well, Well, actually, I was a quality manager, but since people probably be able to since people are going to use these on their home gyms to practice for shipping, you could cut it in half almost put like a dovetail and then cut, drill a hole and then just put a rod to connect them together. And that way you can just ship them in two pieces instead of eight foot. If yeah. you're shipping four foot. See, that, see, that's the, uh, 
that's the way I go into building all my stuff because I got to consider first off mm-hmm. shipping ex- shipping expenses mm-hmm. have gone up. You ain't Amazon, <laughs> and I'm not Amazon. Clearly not. So like the first time I had made because my twisters initially they were all the correct size. They were eight feet long, and I had some lady in um, in California. She's like, I want one, and I was like yeah, do you understand that shipping is going to be half the price you're going to pay just for the twister itself? Mm -hmm. She goes, yeah, I want one. I packed it up really nice. It was solid. I shipped it FedEx. This asshole's shipping a flagpole. (laughs) They destroyed it. Oh, I'm sure. Destroyed the box, trashed everything, and then charged me $900 on the back end. Wow. For shipping because they said that um, I didn't claim the correct size box. And I was like, what? I was like, the size you're telling me it is, isn't even like, even if the box was laid flat, it wouldn't have been that size. Yeah, that's crazy. And I was like, yeah. And so I never got that. That was right when I was first starting out. And I was like, so, you know, I had just. Your first order, you're thrilled. I had like $1,000 in the bank account. And then suddenly I overdrafted my account. And I was just like, I think I want to quit right now. I was like, so disgusted. Well, because of that, I designed a full eight foot twister that comes in two sections and attaches in the center. Nice. So I can ship it in two sections. People can just bolt it together and then they can go and hang the thing. And from there, that turned into, I now make four-foot twisters, which I call my mini twisters, which I ship with the inner pipe and everything else, and people can just go hang it up on monkey bars somewhere. Yeah, I saw your wife's video on Instagram. Now, we keep talking about the twister, and there's some people who listen to this podcast who probably never done OCR. Um, Basically, a twister, you can probably explain it better than I am. Explain to the audience what exactly a twister is. A twister is an eight-foot-long section of tubing or pipe that has eight handles on it and they're they're horizontal handles so they're you know, parallel with the ground and everything and but they are clocked at 45 degrees so as you grab on one handle and then reach for the next one the whole pipe rotates so when you got to travel all the way down to the end of it so if Spartan, you were to stand it up vertically and stare at it it would look like a spiral staircase but of hand Basically. of hand grips. Yep. Yep. That's exactly what it is. Now Sp- so, the Spartan, I haven't seen one of those on a Savage course. The Spartan have those. Yeah. That's a, that's strictly a Spartan thing. See, so I, that's nothing that Savage has or anything like that's that. That's on my bucket list to do a Spartan. I know I could probably handle it. See, my, my thing is, is if I can get to a hundred percent completion on a Savage on the open course, I want to sign up for, an age group course because now that i'm in mm-hmm. my 40s that age groups get smaller and <laughs> improves my chances <laughs> right right like the last 5k i did i actually got fifth place in my age group i was like sweet nice. i got a beer mug because there was less yeah. people <laughs> and when right. i did the savage race makeup for um when they did the makeup race for the one they canceled due to covid there was less people there and i actually got 25th place in my age group in the open course course this year there was more people and i got 125th in the open course but Mm -hmm. but for my age group that's not bad so i was thrilled and so yeah no but uh i reached out to you because you had a photo on you had someone showing like their garage set up and i was like "Ooh, i need one of those but my my ceiling's too low and i think you said 10 feet is where you want to be 
I'm just looking at athletes okay. right now. Um, I was 25th place in the March 2021. Oh, wow, I did better than I thought. From the 40 to 44 age group, I was 25th out of 129. Um, out of the nice. males, I was 117 out of 864. Overall, I was 130 with a final time of a one hour, uh, 125 minutes. But keep in mind, on the obstacles I failed, I only tried twice and kept going. So that time would yeah. be tremendously different, and it will be the different this fall when I force myself to try my damnedest to do 100% completion. I'm not going to yeah. try twice and quit. I'm going to try five times and then go to the next one. So my <laughs> now I get it, but I got to get that through my head that hey, you're out here racing yourself. You're in an open wave. Time doesn't matter when it comes to OCR. It's all about completion, not time. And so I really got to get that into my head: completion, completion, completion. But for people who want to build not a full gym, but like okay, for example, my nemesis is Sawtooth. Um, mm-hmm. anchors away that bastard and the battered oh, birds. Anchors are my favorite thing ever. Before I get, love anchors. Before, I like anchors so much. That's why I started making. Before we get the anchors away, um, Sawtooth for the first two races, I made it to the third rung and fell down because I can't do pull-ups. But before this last race, I was doing my research and I found a guy's YouTube channel said, Hey, if you can't do pull-ups and you can't do Sawtooth, here's the secret. Do it backwards. I was like, Hmm, backwards. And so I, try that? I have it on my YouTube video. I went, I did it backwards and I made it to the fucking transition, believe it or not. First time ever made it past third wrong, made it all the way up to the transition. When I, and they said at the transition, you want to go sideways to utilize your wingspan, me being six foot five, mm-hmm. but I slipped on the transition, but I didn't care. That was a PR for me. I went from the third rung for two races all the way to the transition simply by turning oh, yeah. around, looking the other way, because when you do it backwards, you're not doing pull up so much as just like a pull down. And just like when you go to the gym, you try to do a pull up versus the sit down and pull down bar. It's a completely different game. So for you guys out there listening, who's ever done sawtooth and it kicks your ass, wipe your hands off, turn around and go up backwards. And I guarantee you, you'll double your distance. You may not complete it, but you will double your distance if you've never been able to get very far on it. So that's a hint there. My problem with so, anchors are what? Go ahead. Uh, so you know what my secret is to sawtooth? What's that? Because I also cannot do a pull up. Because I uh, I've wrecked my shoulders. Mm-hmm. I wrecked I wrecked them in the Coast Guard, and I wasn't going to let anybody in the Coast Guard said it was cool to work on my shoulders because there was only specific doctors you could use, and the doctor that was going to do the surgery specialized in hands. And I was like, ah, okay, yeah, no. <laughs> no plus, I knew two other, plus I knew two other people that had so, uh, shoulder surgery and ended up having to get it done again. So anyway, you know, I need I my ports it. on my truck ported. Uh, I need my um, I need my pistons ported. Ah, here's my transmission specialist. I'll think I'll yes. go somewhere else. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. So I uh, so I can't do a pull up. I haven't been able to do a pull up in years. It just it hurts too much. And I am quite the guy that if something's hurting and I know it's just going to end up damaging me more, then I'm going to find another way to do it. So for me, sawtooth, I always go forward. I've never failed sawtooth. I get the nice side-to-side swing mm-hmm. where I'm basically trying to hoof somebody off the lane next to me. And it gives me enough momentum that it'll bring my one arm up high enough that I can grab the next run. Swing back over the other side, up to the next run. What's your secret on the transition? Do you go straight for the middle bar or do you try to go straight to the third bar? Um. I typically go all the way to the bottom, but then I just get a 
nice pink. Like I, like I look like I can lache somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Ninja Warrior people do. Yeah. But I get I get enough of a swing that I can, you know, I get my hand up high enough that I can grab onto the next bar. Once I hit that, I can skip that next top bar. Because I, I don't know what your... Uh, um, well, your sawtooth looks like that's sawtooth funny i was i was thinking the same exact thing there's two variants i've seen some on youtube where it goes up down up down like a w and mine simply goes up transitions and goes down like an upside down v so the one in is florida yours, is the, yours all steel um or is it a wood structure it's with uh, like I want to say it's a wood structure, but it's painted blue, but the bars are metal, but it, it is not the black W that you see on YouTube. I don't know where that black W sawtooth is at. Ours is a blue V. It goes up, transitions, and goes down. It's not the W. The W, God, I could only imagine how hard that one is. Have you seen that one? See, the ours goes up, then it comes down to a, and then goes back up, and then goes down. Yeah, so you got the W. We have a V. Yeah, no, we we got the upside w down W. Yeah, go up down up also, down. It's also a lot steeper than their scaffolding setup. Yep. This one's a, an entire wooden structure, and it, it's it's steep. I mean, the first time I ever did it, I was just like, I am not going to fall off, and I didn't, which was kind of awesome. But like, and it took my wife. I think it took it was the third savage race she had done, and she straight nailed that sucker on her third time. She was like, yeah. And then we brought our son out last year. He had just turned 13 two days before the race. So we're like, happy birthday, dude. You're doing a race with us. Yeah, I was so. Your son was dropping was, out just a little bit. I don't know if you're walking around your I, uh, shop, but yeah. Oh, no. You're I'm good just, now. Okay. No, I'm just sitting out in my truck. Oh, cool. Because it's. Um, but we took our son out there for his 13th you know, birthday present. And I don't. I want to say I was proud and yet disgusted at the same time because that kid straight murdered everything. Well, he only weighed 80 pounds. <laughs> no, no. He's, he weighs like five pounds less than I do now. Wow. He's six foot tall. And that kid, he's got grip strength for days. Mm-hmm. He'll sit there and he'll do pull-ups off of the, the, you know, I make those cannonballs and stuff. He'll sit there and hang off the cannonballs and just sit there and do pull-ups. And I'm not talking like kicking his legs to pull up. He'll be just like dead hanging and do wow. these pull ups. And I was like, yeah, I remember when I was 13. I was like, yeah, kid, now you got to go out and mow the yard. It's only seven acres. Get out there. Have you seen those like new CrossFit pull ups that look like they're rowing a boat above their head? Those are insane. How the hell? It's. I don't know. What do they call it? Kipping, I think. I don't know. It just looks like they're rowing a boat above their head. It's insane, the whole motion. It's like, how are you not destroying your rotator cuffs? But it works I know, I guess. It does. It wouldn't work for me. So anyhow, (laughs) just to get back on course a little bit. So you you got your stomach kicked in by shipping costs by trying to ship an eight-foot tongue twister. Now you, you figured out a way to do four foot. And... Now that your business is growing, what all I we know you make twisters, you love making anchors mm-hmm. away. What other items are you making? I've got I've got like stirrup grips, but once again because I'm the guy that doesn't want to have anything that's easy. Mm-hmm. So my, my stirrup grips are all 2-inch diameter. They're all bigger handholds, which makes it a lot tougher and works your grip strength a whole lot more. I've got I we make the twirly 
basically the twirly beards that mm-hmm. you see at Savage, mm-hmm. except I, I let people name it because I got this ginormous beard. They wanted to name it Twirly Beard. Yeah. So, well, that I'm sure Savage is. has copyrights and all their stuff. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I talked to the race director. He's never once said anything about it. No, it's a Twirly so. Beard. It's fine. But if you were to do like a Twirly Bird, then there may be a problem. So. But anyway, oh, actually, be. I, I take that right. Spartan would probably be the one to pull that crap. <laughs> but I, <laughs> that's why but my twist. That's why my twister is called Twister 2.0. There you go. So, uh, but you know that uh, T-bar grips, cannonballs. Um, I've got these really. I am a big fan of like vertical grip stuff, just because it's so hard. People, a lot. There's so many people that don't necessarily have a problem doing you know horizontal type grips like Mm -hmm. monkey bar type stuff but when the thing's vertical Mm -hmm. you know i mean that's an entirely different kind of grip and it's hard so i've got these steel nunchucks i made (laughs) and the the top part of it is is uh i've got um heat shrink on it so it's got a rubber top part which is a little bit easier to grip but then the bottom part of it oh yeah no that's straight gloss black powder coat nice it's 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 murder i mean it's so hard and i basically every race i help build for if they want to use some of my grips that ends up being the last grip oh you're such a dick everybody's all they're cashed out their hands barely opening they got lactic acid buildups and here comes the grip obstacle obstacle number 28 (laughs) (laughs) it'll be the it'll be the last thing on a rig because rigs rigs are my favorite thing to do in the race walls eh, i can climb over a wall no big deal rope climbs whatever i can do rope climbs it's all about that it's all about how you hook your feet i mean you know i'm not the guy that's going to sit there and pull himself up hand over hand without using his feet but if you know how to use your feet rope climbs aren't a thing you know, so I love rigs. I love Spartans rigs. I love to go swinging across rings. That to me is fun. I like to put all my grip stuff on stuff and tell people, hey, have fun swing, you know. So, you know, I like to build a lot of those kind of things. You know, I got, you know, I've got the one inch rope nunchucks. I've got, I've got these big old fat chunguses. I mean, they're two inch diameter manila rope. And, those are, you know, for some people, they love the big ropes. You know, they like to cr- climb them. They like they like those kind of grips. And then other people are like, I can't even hold on to it. And I was like, well, you should buy one in practice. Because guess what? If you're coming to a local race around here, you're probably going to see it on the rig. <laughs> you know, back in, before COVID, um, on tw- back in 2019, I think it was, Spartan was doing like a Spartan Worldwide Champion. I think they teamed up with ESPN. They teamed up with somebody who had some equipment. And they had what they called rabbits out there on the trail running with cameras. And it was a f- it was extremely well produced. It was exciting to watch. Nicole Miracle won. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the normal the normal men won. But it was very cool. And then 2020 <laughs> happened. And then everything died out. And then this year, Savage, bless their heart, they're trying. But, you know, they don't have... They didn't have the sponsorship of an ESPN, but they're out there with their cell phones. And it's it's a struggle because, you know, they're buffering with the videos. And the only way they're going to achieve a super high-end quality is to get, like, a T-Mobile or Verizon to sponsor it and get, like, a mobile truck out there to boost the signal. But it, mm-hmm. regardless, it's still great. It's fun to watch. 
I think if those two organizations plus maybe a third pop in and they start YouTube streaming the stuff or maybe getting a contract with ESPN, getting this shit televised, I think OCR is going to continue to grow and getting that Agreed. getting that footage because it's i mean look at american ninja warrior people love to watch american ninja warrior and they're like people guys running for th- three minutes max if those yeah. people actually were aware because so many people like i i have i'm wearing my run ocr shirt right now people are like what's ocr people don't know what it is i mm-hmm. think if it got into an espn or an espn2 or espn ocho if you're a dodgeball fan <laughs> um, <laughs> espn8 yeah. I think if more and more people got out there and saw it, they would take, even if they're, you know, unable to physically do it, just like everybody, I can't do a Ninja Warrior course, but I love the damn show. I start, I, you know, they have it on at the gym because it's so goddamn motivating. But I think if the Spotline and a media group got more OCR, whether it's on YouTube with a better quality video, like what they did of Spartan in in 2019, if Savage... I think Savage will get it worked out because the last two events they did uh, teamed up with uh, OCR Media Podcast, whatever. It's yeah. it's doing good. Um, the narration's great. Like I said, the buffering sucks, but you know when you're out in a place, you know it's it's so weird. I I grew up in Ohio and I grew up snowboarding in Mad River Mountain, and uh, okay. I just watched the stream they did from Savage Race where they're running that mountain that I grew up snowboarding on. It's so weird for me to see it in the summertime. And I haven't been there in 20 years, but as they're running the courses, I knew exactly where they were, and it was so it was so mm-hmm. freaking awesome. But I'm excited to see where that sort of televised, whether it's on YouTube or even makes it to TV, if they keep doing that and they get it down, I think the sport's going to blow up. I think it's going to help your business tremendously because the weirdest thing about Spartan Race or Savage Races or any OCR, for any of you guys listening who's never done one, here's what happens. You train. You think you're ready, you get out there, you find out you're out of shape, you finish the race, you go home, you're sore, and what's the first thing you do? You go online and register for another goddamn race. Isn't that the truth? Because you're addicted. You're like, oh, God, I feel like crap, but goddamn, that was fun, and if I register now, I can save 100 bucks. and everybody registers for the next race, and it's, it's amazing how it happens. Now, the hard part is staying motivated for the next six months, which is why I threw in that little uh, obstacle course race in Tampa. And so what I've done to save my body, I actually did my first Savage Anywhere race back, uh, I don't know, two months ago in April, I think it was, mm-hmm. which is cool because I kind of turned to my syndicate, so I got a syndicate medal before my race. Sweet. But I actually did the Cobra, and I did it, and every one of them's on my YouTube channel. And I'll tell you what, that son of a bitch was hard. But what I learned mm-hmm. from that is to take those exercises because I got my race in November. And so two months out, I want to start taking some of those exercises from that Savage Race Cobra and incorporate that in my training, including I got a ruck. I got a ruck now that's uh, 18 pounds. And I'll tell you what, if you're a runner and running three miles is easy, like last night I went out on my – tonight is the first night in seven days. I haven't been out on my kayak. My family, we got a tandem kayak, so now all three of us can go out and – I'm in Florida. Nice. I'm in Cape Coral. We got 500 miles worth of canals. I can oh, literally yeah. load up my kayak, drive three streets over. There's a public boat ramp. I can get my kayak in the water and go bass fishing. And so, like, uh, Monday night, went out bass fishing, ran home, did a podcast at 930. Uh, Tuesday night, went out kayaking, did a podcast at 930. And then tonight's the first night because we're going to go out this weekend. But my whole point is, is 
Last night I went out, kayaked two miles, came home, went out and ran four miles. And what I discovered, and my wife's like, how can you go run? We just kayaked. And we did like a 15-minute run back to race the, the sun going down. And what I found out is, well, that kayaking is almost like a nice warm-up. My body's loose. Uh, even though it's all upper body, I was able to mm-hmm. go out and run four miles, which I haven't been able to do in a while. Because the downside of doing like a Savage Anywhere and doing all the gym routine is it it kind of killed my running stamina because before that I would just go out and run three, five miles, four or five times a week. And then when I took an entire month to do 14 workout <clears throat> regiments for the Savage Anywhere, a lot of it's lifting weights and all that. And so it took me away from my running a little bit, but it also gave my knees some time to recuperate. Um, before we wrap up, some of the things I do, um, I got me a, I got me a Lowe's bucket. I put some granite in it. It currently weighs 74 nice. pounds. And so I'll awesome. I'll throw that up on my shoulder. I've gotten past. I'm a World War II reenactor, so I know what it's like to have public looking like. What the hell is that guy wearing a uniform for? So I'm not worried <laughs> about my neighbors thinking I'm insane. So me carrying a 76 pound bucket over my shoulder, which I've looked on the rules. Spartan changed their rules. You no longer have to carry it in front of your pelvis. You can throw it up on your shoulder and be legal. So that's the way I'm practicing. Because when I carry it in front of me, God, that sucks. So I got it that. Suck. I was glad when they changed that because I'd much rather throw it on my shoulder than anything else. Now I live in Florida and because we have hurricanes, I have sandbags, empty sandbags in my garage. And so I went across the street and filled it up full of sand and threw it on the scale. It weighs 45 pounds. And so I'll, I'll throw a sandbag over my shoulder and do like a quarter of a mile. Um, I found a YouTube video that shows how to recreate the spear from Savage using a, a replacement hoe handle, a galvanized nail. But let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. What is the, if you know, you may not know, because I want to build one. Well, they just built a house across the street from me, so that field's empty. But anyhow, do you know what the distance is from the throw line to the bale of hay so that I can get that set up? It's right at about 25 feet. 25 See, I, feet. I make, it's right at about, it, it varies. It's never going to be the same at any ratio you go to. Sure. But roughly, it's about 25 feet. So <laughs> I... I, I make and sell the spears. Okay. And I always attach like 26 feet of uh, paracord to it. Cool. I'll so have to buy one off you then. Well, I, I make it. They're not hard to make. Yeah, no. I really, see. Yeah. Just buy the, buy the rake handles. Yep. I just at least the six answers. And then, um, yeah, you, you cut the head off the end of the. 12 inch long galvanized spike and epoxy the sucker in and let it dry and stuff. You so, know, and then yeah, it's funny as a, as a race director and someone who designs obstacle course races, <clears throat> Morgan uh, Moose has been on the podcast twice. And the funny thing I found uh, when it comes to American Ninja War, as spectators, we think everything's precise. <laughs> and as you just said, mm-hmm. it's never the same distance. It's just wherever the guys set the shit up at. And I was talking to Morgan. I was like, well, Whenever they reset like the courses on American Ninja Warrior, does it take a long time? He's like, no, there's a guy with a stick. It just kind of pushes it and says, okay, that's about right. He said the course is never the same because it's just a guy with the stick <laughs> resetting it. Yeah, they're not up there with measuring it's, tapes and they don't have a template. It's a guy with a stick. Okay, there you go. And that that sounds about because I mean I've I've worked a number of you know as a build crew. I've worked as build before I even got the race director thing on the front line. I I had built. Um, for the two races prior to this part of the build crew. And then, you know, I've helped there. We got another local race called Highlander Assault and I've, I've helped them build and everything else. And I, I've 
I was out in uh, Cleveland for uh, a race called Badass Dash. I was supposed to be out there last year, but, you know, COVID and whatnot. But I built in 2000. I would have been 2019 for, for them and stuff. And everybody, all races are different. And, you know, you got one person that's like particular this way. And, you know, I mean, everybody's got their own idea of how to do stuff. And I've helped, I've volunteered. Like when I initially started out, I volunteered at Sparta races. I volunteered at Savage races, you know, helping them set up stuff and things like that. And yeah, it's never, it's never the same. You know, people just, you know, like you said, it's a stick. Yeah, it looks good. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Now that you're designing obstacles, um, how many, is there any original obstacles that you've, uh, like, it's got to be hard, obviously, because there's a lot of obstacle course races and to come up with a never before seen obstacle has got to be extremely hard. But are you currently working on like any, maybe any handholds, maybe a different variation of an anchors away or something a new kind of grip that maybe no one's seen that you're trying to get onto a course somewhere with the exception of frontline ocr well with with frontline i've got because i'll be coming back as race director unless something goes horribly south and we get nuked or something stupid like that um i'll be back next year as a race director and i've already gone through i've already got like a couple of new obstacles i plan on building and bringing out you know to their race i mean because my first big initial one was cracking you know that was that front line and it was basically a twister with vertical hand grips on it you know so that was wow. you know the the owner of the uh the owner of the race and i had talked about some stuff and he's like hey i kind of got this idea what do you think and i was like i ran with it and i was like oh yeah we'll do this we'll do this you know and then he came up with another idea or something i was like yeah i like that idea so i incorporated you know so basically cracking is about 20 some odd feet long it's a rig i guess if you want to call it a rig but it starts out with a horizontal pvc pipe six inches in diameter that's set on a metal pole so it'll spin wow yep okay um you traverse across that then you transition into the first year we just had grip slings on there this year i changed it so it's a it's just a vertical rope that hangs down to the ground so you'll transition into that Ooh. and then now you're vertical is this a low rig medium rig or a high rig no, it, it, it's high. I mean, I can hang off of it. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of my six-foot-five tall ass trying to go from being horizontal no, on no, a spinning no. pole to vertically trying to transition a rope without touching no. the ground. You'd, you'd be all right. Yeah. I, I build, for this particular rig, I built it higher so that the taller people, because, I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? I mean, even if you've got a, you know, a five-foot-tall, you know, female. Yeah, they're going to fall three only, feet. She's only... She, yeah, if that, you know, it's probably not even going to be that. And then, so from there, it transitions into the Kraken, which, like I said, is basically like a twister, except it's got different length vertical grips on it. And you got to traverse across that to hit the bell. You, you know what? And, I'm sitting in my podcast studio and I'm staring across at my, my medals hanging on the wall. Uh-huh. Now you have the connections. I just thought of a marketing idea for you, which would be kind of cool. 
You wouldn't even have to advertise Correct. it. Just a surprise. Get a yeah. hold of your, your guys. Find out the vendor, because clearly these metals are made probably by one or two company. Find out who makes these metals, right? Mm-hmm. And, and order them with like your logo on them or whatever. And then whenever you have uh-huh. like a repeat customer, somebody like buys like four or five different things, just throw that son of a bitch in a box. Because clearly these cats are training <laughs> and they've spent so much money with you and they're they're supporting your company. Instead of putting like a sticker like a skateboard company or a fishing company, these metals can't be that much. Of course, these guys are buying them at by thousands. So, it, you know, when it comes to buying them in bulk, it's going to be a little yes. more expensive. But I would look into it and just not even advertise that, it. That would be, that would be a... That's a that's a good idea. The first time you do that, I, I know. I I know when my wife listens to this podcast, she's gonna be like, "So you need to sit down at the computer and design a metal." I can help you, and when you do that, you need to send me one as a thank you. But just think about uh, it. the first time you do that, or not even announce it, somebody's gonna find that shit in their box, and it's gonna be on their Instagram page, it's gonna be on their Facebook page, it's gonna be on their TikTok videos, and everybody's like, "What?" I don't have one of those. I got like, 28 yeah. Spartans. I got 15 Savages. I've got <laughs> Turkey Trots. I got all these medals, but I, I, I don't have that one. Oh, that's a good idea. And that that's may, a real good and idea. that may, and that may entice someone who's bought two or three items off you. Cause we don't know. It's a, it's a magic number. You're not advertising. You're not saying buy five, get this medal. It's, it's a thank you for your repeat customers. And it's a arbitrary number. And it may not even be a number. It may be something that just, Hey, this guy bought four of my toughest obstacles. He deserves a medal. Or this person bought five easy ones, and and you know, clearly, or this person, whatever, just toss it in there as a thank you. And yeah, it no, beats the hell out idea. of a sticker, and and that'll be like the one thing on somebody's freaking mantelpiece. Their metal, their metal board. No one's buying this like... stuff just to buy it and not actually. It's not like a virtual race where someone can go buy the pay for the medal and then not do the run. No one's going to buy right. your equipment if they're not training. So it's not like I'm you're still, I think I've still got the, uh, there was a virtual 5k. It was the Ricky Bobby virtual <laughs> 5k. And I was like, I just really like that shirt. I still, that was over a year ago and I still haven't even opened the package. I still see the package sitting up there. I was like, I really need to open it just to wear the shirt. I've only done two, three virtuals. One was the Spartan virtual, which I did every one of them put on my YouTube as proof, and it was hard. I did the Savage. But there's another one I did, and I did it because um, my military appreciation, and it was a Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Actually, the, the medal is the Vietnam Service Ribbon, but it was, I think, oh, that's cool. I think it was 100 miles in a month or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it had something to do with um, the amount of distance, like prison rewards that are in Vietnam had to march or something like that. And so you had the track like so many, I think it was like a hundred miles in a month or something extreme like that. And that's the only one I've really done with the exception of the Savage and the Spartan, because I don't know, I not, you know, if you're listening to this and you're a big fan of the virtual races, I don't like the fact that there's no accountability. Once again, you could just, and there's people on TikTok who do this to make fun of runners. Like we have the uh, virtual race where we have people sitting on couches and we just go and order the medals. And and that kind of, to me, it's kind of sucks, but I I get it. There's a market for that. But to me, if like with the Savage Anywhere, you had to submit your workout and they encourage you to post your, your numbers on their Savage page. But like when it comes to virtual race and all that, it's like a lot of stuff. I feel like there's no accountability, and you're just people are buying medals, and there's no proof that they yeah, did the work. Yeah, no, I agree. There, there. I mean, there's 
that's what I like about going to an actual OCR race. Because mm-hmm. if I'm having a crappy day and I'm just sucking it up, people are still going to see me out running or falling off something or, you know, eating it or watching, laughing at me because I'm a quarter mile from the finish line and my leg cramps so hard I can't even walk. And, you know, my wife's trying to drag me over the finish line, you know. But it's the, I mean, for me, the OCR thing has always been about the community. You know, I've met some of the coolest people out there, people that, you know, are just like, especially, and I don't, I have no interest in the age group stuff. I have no interest in the elite stuff. I'm past the point of ever being an elite. I'm yeah. past the point of even really being competitive in age group. Oh. You know, I just got too many old injuries. You when know, you're watching these Ryan Atkins running Savage or even, you know, some of the other four Ryans, when these cats are running yeah. a six minute mile at the beginning of a race, and my personal, like normal running down the road PR is like a seven minute mile, and that's I've only run it like twice. My normal PR <laughs> when I'm out running is a nine thirty. Yeah, when I'm watching these guys running a five to six minute PR in the grass for like the first mile, it's like, yeah, there's no way in hell at 42 I could ever run an elite race. And then you see, you know, like Woodsies who who just hit 40 something. It's like, yeah, even in my age group, if Woodsy shows up, I'm not like, getting anything. You're like, okay, sorry. I, I, I bow down. You've already won. It's cool. I saw it. Dana and I, we were, uh, we were at Savage Chicago. It was a couple of years back. And Woodsy was out there and Dana and I, we were just, it was, we had done the race on Saturday and then we were there just volunteering on Sunday and we see somebody running the course. And I like asked my wife, I was like, did, I was like, I look at my watch and I was like, race hasn't started yet, has it? And she goes, no. And I was like, well, who the heck is out already running the course? And who allowed him to do it? Like running and just cooking along. And gets up to where we're at, and it's Woodsy. And I was just like, "What are you doing?" And he goes, "I'm just." He's like, "I'm just warming up." Wow. I mean, he had run on he had run on Saturday already. So yeah. The Sunday one was just lit, so it was just a short version. And you that just what, goes to show you how hardcore these guys are. I do one race, and two days later, I can't effing walk. How do these guys? <laughs> oh, I did a Savage on Saturday, the full six miles. I did a Blitz on Sunday, and the next week I got two Spartans. It's like holy hell, I'm out of shape. One, the hardest, the hardest thing I've ever done. And my wife and I, we went out to West Virginia, and we did the Spartan trifecta weekend. Wow, Jeez. we did the, and it was in. I'm sure they're not going to call it mountains, but there was a buttload of elevation gain, and it was steep going up some of these hills. Trust me, I run on a horse farm in Florida. They're mountains, but you're running on as mountains. And it was, we did the beast on Saturday, and it was, you know, they said it was like 13 and a half, like 14 miles, but when all was said and done, we had clocked both of our garments and clocked it at like 16 some odd miles. And, you know, towards the end, I I, we're just whoops, you know, and then we got up the next day and after soaking in Epsom salts in the bathtub at the uh, hotel. And then the next day we went back and we did the super sprint back and back. And I'm not going to lie. I hit that sprint and I was like, (laughs) I don't, I don't think I ran more than 200 yards. You looked at your wife and said, since when did my shoes weigh 50 pounds? (laughs) Right. And I was just like, and I was, and we finished the super and we actually had a pretty good time. I mean, 
like our time was actually wasn't too bad on the super considering all the hills. How many bourbons did you have to do? Um, I think I only ended up, I didn't miss a lot of obstacles. Wow. That's great. Um, Now when we did uh, big bear, my wife is not having that. First off, (laughs) she gets, that's insane. I lived in Long Beach for three years. I mountain biked Big Bear one time, and I'm just the fact that you ran up that is just amazing. They they started out in like the first three quarters of the mile was straight up the ski slope, and I was just like, I made it like 300 yards in, and I was just like, first off, I'm a flatlander. I live in Illinois. I was like, I I I had no idea how bad the you know elevation was going to kick my butt, but you know less oxygen, Mm -hmm. and it it didn't help that i had just graduated from college the day before in wow. san diego <laughs> running with a hangover and, uh, mm, yeah sort of <laughs> but i also i also had i was just jacking around on my instagram my personal one back when i was still using that thing and i had jokingly mentioned tagged the school in it and mentioned that i was just gonna you know there was a spartan race that weekend and i was like you know, because I the uh, the graduation was at the uh, the San Diego Padres Stadium. Nice. Can't even remember what the thing is. So we were all out on the field and everything. And you know, anyway. So I jokingly mentioned that for Spartan race the next day, I'm gonna go do a sprint at Big Bear, and I'm gonna run it in my cap and gown. <laughs> You're one of those. I well, then the, then then the school contact. Mm-mm. I was like, are, "Are you serious about this?" And I was like, "Oh man, it's on the internet, so it must be true." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "And I was like, yeah." So yeah, I actually ran Big Bear in my cap and gown. Wow! I bet it looked like shit when you got done. All- I, I, I threw it out when I got done. It was so thrashed, but I managed to keep the, the cap on the entire time with the uh, Spartan head. But yeah, I ran that whole race, and yeah, it was. That was awful. That was that was so bad. And my wife, she gets she gets car sick. Yeah. Okay? She gets motion sickness real bad. So I wasn't driving. Driving through the mountains to get up to mm-hmm. Big Bear. She's driving and she made herself car sick and was barfing off the side of the mountain. Some of those <laughs> some of those roads, you only got about two feet of medium before or cur edging before it goes straight down. It's, oh, it's I know it was so insane. bad. But we both decided that if we don't ever go do another mountain race, we'd be okay with that. Yeah. So you got to come down to Florida and do the Florida Savage because it's on a horse farm. Now, it's crazy. Depending on how much rain. Now, I, I miss some of the water obstacles because, like, the last two races I ran has been du- du- during COVID. And, like, yeah. so they got rid of the dumpster full of ice water. The first year I ran, I had that. And when you're running in Florida, even in the morning, it's – as bad as that shock sucks, it's kind of nice to get drenched in an ice bucket, you know, to cool you yeah. down. Um, like I said, they moved a couple of them off. The only water obstacles we had this year was Goliath and um, Sawtooth. But depending on the amount of rain, um, they got an area of swamp that sometimes it's waist deep. They'll have you do like the lumberjack carry through it. Um, but we're in Florida. That's just rough. Well, well, we're in Florida, right? And I'm like, 
yeah, there's no there's no cotton mouth in here. <laughs> there may be an alligator somewhere in here, but then I tell ah, the elite scared them off. They came through here first. Because <laughs> I always try right. to run I always try to run the nine o'clock wave in Florida because I'm not trying to run at noon in Florida on a Sabbath oh, race in the summer. So I don't I don't try and run if I the earliest <sighs> wave I can get is mm-hmm. always gonna be better. Mm-hmm. That's how I look at it. So I'm I'm a little scared because Savage Chicago this year falls on my uh, 45th birthday. Ooh, and I'm hoping we get some. I'm hoping we get a lot more rain than what we've gotten because it's basically like drought right now, which is awful for the yeah. for the farm. But the boy likes it because he hasn't had to mow the grass in two weeks because <laughs> hasn't grown enough. Mine's the other way. We've actually been going through a rain spurt, so my, I'm trying to get my kid to go out to mow the grass this weekend. She already mowed the front as part of a a trade off for she needed to buy something on Xbox for Minecraft, so the. The deal was she had to go out and mow the grass. But, hey, this has been a delight. We are talking to Aaron Sabia, and you know him from RaceReadyObstacles.com or RaceReadyObstacles on Instagram. Or is there any other locations people can find you? Do you have a YouTube channel? Uh, I think I signed up for one, but I've never. Like, I'm pretty sure I got the name saved, but I haven't really filmed anything. Mo- most of the stuff we do. I mean, we got a Facebook too, which is the same thing as Instagram or just race ready obstacles. But majority of what we do is been on Instagram and that's kind of where we've just grown from there. So, well, Aaron, this has been an absolute delight. Anytime you want to come on and promote something or we can do another hour, actually, hell, we're at 125 minutes right now, sir. Can you believe that? Oh, killing it. Yep. So <laughs> we're going to wrap up this episode. Aaron, thank you so much. And for the rest of you guys, this episode of the Fail to Fail podcast is brought to you by our friends at At Computers. At Computers has been providing IT solutions for all of Southwest Florida since 2004, including break and fix on computers, laptops, tablets, and network expansions, security camera installations, etc. So if you live in Southwest Florida and you need help with your computers, give them a call at 239-283-1120. But don't fear... Even if you live outside of the city, they can log in your computer remotely through their website with your assistance, of course, and help you with all your computer needs as long as your internet works. So give them a call at 239-283-1120 or head over to actcomputers.com. And while you're on the internet, head over to d-410.com or failedtofail.com. Click on that beautiful orange Patreon link. Sign up for Patreon. It helps. It's a dollar a month. If you sign up for the $7.50 a month plan, we'll send you a free t-shirt after month two. And if you're a member of the OG5 on Patreon, we send you free stickers and all that good stuff. And after you get done signing up for Patreon, make sure you head over to RaceReadyObstacles.com and buy yourself a set of anchors away because you know that obstacle kicks your ass every time. But for myself and Aaron Sabia, my name is Don Abernathy. This is the Fail to Fail podcast. Thank you guys so much, and we will talk to you very soon. This has been a Digital 410 production. (laughs) 